it was a smack in the face, but a good way. Like I said, I'd never been out of the country and I was going to a place with so much poverty, but so much kindness. This country, I felt it just open its arms and embrace me. Welcome back to Adventures in Service, the show where we talk about regular people who have combined travel with service to create life-changing adventures. I'm your host, Dan Grinthal. My guest today is Shauna Riddensdale. Shauna is something of a serial adventurer. At age 18, she completed a 10-month service year with AmeriCorps NCCC and has not stopped exploring. She's since hiked the Appalachian Trail, traveled the country in a van, and even spent time abroad in Nepal as a disaster relief worker, which is what we'll be talking about today. So, Shauna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me. So, where are you from originally? So, I am originally from Massachusetts, but mostly raised in a small town in Maine. And what are you up to now? I've been doing a little bit of everything, like how you just mentioned. This past summer, I was a backcountry caretaker in the White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire. And this past winter, I was ski patrolling at a local mountain and coaching gymnastics. That's so cool. Yeah, you kind of live, yeah. live a life that a lot of people would, would love to have. <laughs> So we could do several podcasts on you, but we won't do that. We won't do that today. We'll save that for later. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What I really want to talk with you about today is your time with all hands in Nepal. So sometime after finishing up with AmeriCorps, you joined another all volunteer organization called all hands, which is now called all hands and hearts. So can you tell us a little bit about all hands and what made you want to be a part of what they do? Yeah, um, well, so I volunteered with All Hands uh, when I was in AmeriCorps in South Carolina, and it was a domestic project, um, and we were kind of mucking and gutting homes after a serious flood that they had um, a year or two prior, I'm not sure exactly, Um, and the atmosphere, I just I clicked with it immediately, and I cannot advocate for them enough. Um, Basically, they are a nonprofit disaster relief organization. They're both international and domestic with their projects. And the coolest thing for me that I really like about them is you can volunteer whenever you want and for whatever period of time you want. Like, I could go... Um, tomorrow, let's say, um, for either a week or a year. Like, it's so, their organization is so fluid and uh, relaxed in that way, which I think is why they get so many volunteers and so many people um, helping out because they're flexible in that way. Um, And while you're on projects with them, your food and housing is covered during your work days. Um, So they're pretty neat. I, like I said, I cannot advocate for them enough. Yeah. With all that flexibility, what made you choose Nepal of all places? And why did you choose to go there when you did? 
Um, I think that I chose Nepal because I I applied while I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, and I think it was my my crave for the mountains. I was like on the Appalachian Trail and hiking all day, all the time, and being in the mountains, being in this fantastic outdoor area, um, made me want to just like skip and jump to the Himalayas. Why not? So um, I think that's that's why I chose Nepal. I also had never been out of the country and let alone a third world country. So yeah, I just kind of, a lot of it was winging it. I didn't really know anyone that was there or heard anything too much about their Nepal project that they had going on, but I just kind of went for it. Wow. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm excited to hear more about this because when I worked for Rochester Refugee, most of our, not most, but a good portion of our refugee employees were originally from Nepal. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about their home country. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of signing up with All Hands? So pretend I've never volunteered with All Hands before. How do I get from my chair in New Jersey to a relief site in Nepal if I wanted to? Um, it is so easy. Um, basically, you go online to their website. Very simple application. Uh, your basic info. If you have any experience, experience is not needed whatsoever. Um, and if you have worked on their projects before or if you can kind of if you know of someone who has done a project with them they really like you to uh, give their name out just so that they know that you do have like some idea of what you're getting into um, so I and I'm not sure if they do conduct interviews because I think I think because I had already worked with them on a project and I dropped some names I they kind of just put me through and accepted me um, mm. but even if they do I'd imagine like they're they're so relaxed and they're not rigid at all um, and like I said there's no experience needed so I think that if you're an individual that's like willing and up to the task and you know what you're getting into you'll have no problem they'll send you right through and accept you that's great okay so you mentioned that they pay for your food and housing but mm -hmm. uh, most people know that the Himalayas are not all that close to Maine so did it right. cost you anything <laughs> did it cost you anything to get there yeah um, my flight I think was like 1200 round trip and then while I was there, I volunteered for two months with them, and I maybe spent like $300. And then I spent a month just kind of tur touristing after that. Um, probably spent a little more money there, but $300 for two months, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of once you're there, given I was in a third world country, so things were, I could get a good meal for four bucks but yeah once I was sort of there and planted and working um it was so very cheap that's pretty great so tell us about your actual project so what the heck were you doing there for two months 
Nepal had in 2015 a 7.8 magnitude earthquake. Uh, I want to say one of their biggest earthquakes in quite some time, if anything. Um, and this destroyed like homes, temples, schools, you name it. And I got in there in 2017, and the destruction was still there. I mean, they they don't have enough people, enough workers, enough money to build some of these historic temples, these schools, and people's homes. I was kind of stepping into that, which was crazy to see. I can't even imagine. But... Um, so the project there, we are rebuilding a school in the Sindopolchuk district, which was like an hour, two hours north of Kathmandu. So you get there, you're in a third world country for the first time in your life that's been ravaged by this earthquake and they're still rebuilding. Um, and your project is to rebuild a school and you're there for two months. So let us step into your shoes for a little while and tell us about the typical day in the life of an all-hands volunteer in Nepal? So you wake up, first of all, our living situation there. Um, we were not, our our housing were, was tense. So I, I have to send you pictures of the rows and rows and rows of tents. It was tent city on these rice fields in this small rural village in Nepal it was just incredible and our breakfast area our our chairs were all made out of bamboo that volunteers had made when they first got there you know so oh, they wow. i i wasn't there during when they built the base that happened like maybe 2 months before i got there but yeah, everything just completely built from bamboo, you know, the breakfast, the eating area, um, roofs, everything. So um, anyway, you wake up in your tent and you have breakfast from like 7 to 8. Um, breakfast, they generally had, um, I guess, pretty American style stuff, oatmeal, pancakes, eggs, peanut butter and jelly. You grab some snacks for the workday if you need to. And then by eight o'clock you go, you should be on site and they do an on site stretch. So one volunteer will lead a stretch group for at the time there were over a hundred of us volunteers. So um we woke up, we stretched a little bit together. Um and then depending on the assignments that you got the night prior to, um, you just kind of went right into that for the day. So from like 8 to 12, that could mean you're working on laying down brick or you're mixing concrete or um, you're digging uh, like a trench for some water runoff. Um, so everyone just kind of broke into small groups and all worked on different things. And then there would be lunch around noon, which usually involved like dal bot or curry. Super yummy. Um, what was that first And then dal bot. Uh, it's 
lentils. It's like lentils and some vegetables. It's like a a little thicker than soup, but not really a curry. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> the saying, the saying actually um, was doll bought power 24 hour. So <laughs> that was our motivation over there in Nepal. Um, yeah, so we would have lunch with the locals. Uh, the villagers actually made our lunch, which was amazing because it was all super fresh stuff, like grown by them. Um, so natural and uh, really satisfying, really great stuff. Um, and then we would kind of go back to our assignments until about 4.30. And then we wrapped up the site, cleaned tools, and then we could walk back and just kind of have our own time to either I would go for a run some people just went for a walk some people would play cards and then you would have dinner um, and after dinner there was always a nightly meeting where the leaders of the project would kind of go over where we're at um, well where each group was at with either, you know, like bricklaying or rebar or just kind of how the whole, how the project as a whole was going. And then we would sign up for tomorrow's assignments um, that night. So it was, it was pretty neat. And honestly, the whole time you're there, you do not feel like you are working. This does not feel like a job. It feels like you are hanging out and digging dirt, like digging in the dirt. It doesn't, it does not feel like a job at all. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I, I mentioned before, I, I did just a, a very short assignment after Hurricane Harvey, I believe, in Texas. It was just a week. And um, I had heard that All Hands has this almost legendary culture among all its volunteers that really sets it apart from a lot of other relief groups uh, and i didn't really mm -hmm. believe it i didn't really believe the things that you were just talking about um but it, it doesn't really feel like work it feels like this great community atmosphere so can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about that and tell us about the people who volunteer with all hands and the kinds of relationships you form and just a little bit more about the general mood at an all hands work site it feels like family you know you arrive you're um you don't know anyone when I got there there was over a hundred volunteers like this is such an overwhelming atmosphere especially for me and people are just interested in you and come up and like welcome you and greet you and just kind of just open arms and show you the ropes and are curious like what your story is and I think in Nepal a lot of people were there as just a destination that are just on the way throughout like a year-long travel thing that they were doing it was such a cool thing it didn't ever feel I didn't ever feel anxious amongst all those people. You can connect with people like that. And I had met some people who were even younger than me that I gotten like so close with and some badass folks who were like in their sixties 
and we're saying like screw it and just went to Nepal for a couple months and they were so cool and I would look at them and be like wow I want to be like you when I'm 60 years old so I had never met met anyone there that I had any issues with there was never any drama everyone was just there to help at just had so much kindness in them and everyone just wanted to meet meet new people and grow together and connect and it the atmosphere I don't know how they do it but they just do it so well (laughs) yeah and it's kind of amazing that I hear almost the identical I hear almost that identical story from every person at each work site that I've talked to who's done all hands, it's like they're able to transfer, they're able to transfer this incredible culture with them all over the world. And it becomes, it becomes a sort of home away from home for a lot of the people who are long-term all hands volunteers. And I think it's a really great example of how a place where service to others becomes just as much a blessing to self because you're you get to be a part of this organization that exists solely to help others and that energy goes back into it and comes back to all the people who are part of it yeah absolutely okay so you also mentioned that you were there in Nepal for three months and two of those months you were with all hands uh and you mentioned there were a whole bunch of other people there who were longtime travelers and they were out to see the world and do something good at the same time. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like just to explore Nepal? Take us to Nepal with you. Uh, Please. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was just a smack in the face, but a good way. Um, like I said, I'd never been out of that country and I was going to a place with so much poverty, but so much kindness, like this country, I felt it just open its arms and embrace me. The culture is just incredible. And these people are bound together by helping each other, you know, like in the village that I was living in, it was um, this one grandmother down the street was amazing at making momos and she would make momos for this other person down the, like this other family down the street um, in exchange for potatoes. And like, that's just how Nepal works. Like, Everyone is just helping the next person. And I don't think there could have been a better place for me to for me to travel to in the world. It was definitely a lot at times getting used to being there because there is you know, you can't open your eyes in the shower. You can't brush your teeth with the sink water. Oh well. Wow. Um you just can't, you have to be wary when, where you're walking to, who's around you. 
there's always someone trying to barter with you and take your money and take advantage of you. So the it, it was a smack in the face, but a good way. I think that's the best way I can put it. <laughs> I like that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so did you get to see the Himalayas? I did. I trekked around in the Annapurna region a little bit, and it was... I mean, the mountains were incredible, yes, but the best part about it was trekking from one village to the next because it was just crazy, mind-blowing to roll up on a village that is literally only there because there are people like me who are, are, who are hiking way out here in the middle of nowhere, and they are living such incredible lives, like growing their own, their own stuff and, and making it all there, making the, their flower themselves and tending to their farm. And like, it's as, as rural as it gets out there. And just seeing this culture and understanding how far away they are from like, not just Kathmandu, but from everything else that I've grown up in. It's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. So explain something to me. So you went, you went here and you helped out for two months and now all of a sudden you're, you're trekking into what most Americans would probably call the wilderness uh, <laughs> to these rural villages. How did you do this? Did you have a guide? Did you, how did you find your way? How did you know where you were going? Yeah. So I got, uh, I'm pretty blessed. So my family actually came out and visited me and they were kind of like all gung ho and they wanted to trek around with me for a little bit. So we did like seven days in the Annapurna region and um, we got two Two guides, um, not really guides. I'm not sure. I'm forgetting what they're called officially, but um, they basically carried most of our heavy equipment. They they would have a big like a big sack that they put it in, and then they would have like a rope, a, like a roped headband in a way, and they would have this huge sack on their back and hold the bottom of it and have this headband like roped around the bag and on their forehead. And that's how they carried it. It was insane. And the weight of some of the things that they carried was these people are strong. Yeah. So strong. They must have Um, beefy necks. Yeah. 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 I was lucky in that way to, have my family come out and um, trek around with me. It was pretty straightforward. You just kind of uh, get a map. Um, you, It's very easy. Like in Kathmandu, there are a lot of places where you can just kind of go in and get all the information you need right there as far as like maps, equipment, uh, who can I contact to be my guide, setting up like buses and even a plane ride um so it's all very simple like nepal gets a lot of its 
money from tourists because they have the Himalayas right there. So they cater to that a lot. Okay, so if I want to go to Nepal, a really good way to go is I can buy my ticket. I need to buy my ticket to get there anyway. So I'm going to go and spend a couple months volunteering at a, a good place like All Hands. And I kind of get to lay the land, meet some locals, make some friends. And then once I'm pretty established and I, I head to Kathmandu and I, that's like a hub to find everything else there. Yeah. Um, one store, you can walk in there and you could seriously get anything you want. It's a really odd concept to wrap your head around, but that's just the way it was. And I think that every family was just trying to like capitalize on the influx of tourists that were coming into Kathmandu all the time. So um, everyone just kind of sort of wants a piece and wants to reel you in and take you to these places and take you and show you the Himalayas. And so it is very easy, very manageable to do. If you just bought a plane ticket, showed up in Kathmandu and didn't really have a plan, you could find your way very easily. Okay, Shauna, if you had to leave our listeners with one key takeaway from your experience, one lesson we can all benefit from, what would that be? I think that if there's one thing I especially learned with my time in all hands, it's that nothing else matters when there is kindness. And watching the locals and working and helping the the kids in the village, like to teach them English and to work with alongside these volunteers that I connected with so well. And when all of that is pieced together, just kindness comes to mind. Absolute kindness. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So how can other people get involved with All Hands to do a similar journey as yours? Apply online. It's so simple and beyond worth it. Um, Yeah, if anyone is interested at all, at least just check out their website because they have so much going on. Not even if you don't want to work in the field, Um, they have all sorts of types of opportunities. Shauna, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. I'm glad you had me. My guest today was Shauna Riddensdale. If Shauna's story inspired you to make a positive impact while you travel, check out allhandsandhearts.org. That's allhandsandhearts.org. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you'd share this episode with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Adventures in Service.